You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. show that brings you all kinds of perspectives, uh, libertarian perspectives on different issues. Today we got a good one. Uh, it's been it's been hot in the libertarian community, and it's one of those that's going to kind of be hot in every community, especially this time of year during Christmas time. And we're going to be talking about the libertarian solutions to homelessness. Um, this has been getting a little bit of traction. I, uh, I have like half of the participants that are talking about this heatedly blocked and about half of them have blocked me. And so I only know that it is being discussed because somebody like screenshots it and, and, and it kind of goes my way. Now that's not bragging. I don't handle fighting very well and I wish I handled it better, but um, it's just the way it is. Now that being said, it's, I think it's a very interesting conversation and it's one that, that warrants um, a lot of discussion. Um, We've had kind of, I think it's hard to issue kind of a non-controversial libertarian take about homelessness uh, because at some point somebody is going to say, well, do we have to do that? Or is that, you know, is that the real libertarian solution? I thought the libertarian solution was just do nothing and see what happens. So I'm just going to set the ground floor here with a couple of quotes. One is from Benjamin Franklin. And he says, I am for doing good to the poor. But I think the best way of doing good to the poor is not making them easy in poverty, but leaving, leading or driving them out of it. I observed that the more public provisions were made for the poor, the less they provided for themselves and, of course, became poorer. And on the contrary, the less was done for them, the more they did for themselves and became richer. And uh, so that's that that's um, a lot of the smacks on kind of brutalism, but that's kind of his idea. The other quotes, and these are kind of the famous ones going around right now. They've been around for a while. This was from January 1992. Murray Rothbard at this point has left the uh, libertarian movement and joined the Republican Party and officially and established something called right-wing populism or joined, I guess, joined something called right-wing populism. And he actually has a very short article called What is Right-Wing Populism? In it, he lists eight planks about how what a right-wing populist program is. Planks three and four are the ones that have kind of been getting the traction, especially when it comes to, um, or I'm sorry, pl planks four and five, my mistake, are the ones that, that have been getting the traction when it comes to homelessness. Plank four states, take back the streets, crush criminals. And by this, I mean, of course, not white collar criminals or insider traders, but violent street criminals, robbers, muggers, rapists, murderers. Cops must be unleashed and allowed to administer instant punishment, subject, of course, to liability when they are in error. Plank number five, take back the streets, get rid of the bums. Again, unleash the cops to clear the streets of bum and bums and vagrants. Where will they go? Who cares? Hopefully they will disappear. That is, move from the ranks of the petted and crosseted bum class to the ranks of the productive members of society. 
Now, considering that libertarians draw on a little bit of Benjamin Franklin and a little bit of Murray Rothbard, I think there's a lot of concern over what the libertarian position is. And indeed, I would say at this point, there's a schism enough in the movement that it's hard to say that there's any one libertarian answer to it. I know I have a preference. I know that like the libertarian platform kind of has a preference, but there's some nuances here that it's hard to just say, well, this is the platform platform plank and the thinking has been done so don't think for yourselves brian i'm going to let you start on this one and give us your thoughts about kind of what you've heard what you've seen your ideas about the libertarian solution to homelessness yeah the libertarian solution that that's based off of that which you know don't care what happens to them well that's what happens in chicago every january and february when the temperature hits negative 70 wind chill and that's what a lot of people think, you know, should happen to the homeless, unfortunately. And that's a terrible fate to give someone who has probably got either significant mental or um, behavioral issues. And yeah, I'm not saying behavioral issues as criminal. I'm just talking as antisocial, unable to live with people in general, uh, living in a group facility or things like that. Some people just can't do it. So looking at it from a libertarian perspective and the idea of just, you know, don't care about it, it's really kind of kind of anti, I mean, I guess if you want to be paleo kind of on that sense of, you know, hey, you know, uh, I am only worried about me and that's it. That's fine. But that's a really lonely society. And I don't think any of us want to live in that. Uh, I'm supposed to be the right winger here, law and order, blah, blah, blah. But the law kind of loves the homeless. Um, it, it, it gives them a reason to, it gives them a foil, uh, not only something to fix, but something to fight. And so you look at like in places like San Francisco, where homelessness is through the roof in one of the most expensive cities in the world. And you drive up Knob Hill and there's lines and lines of, of tents on the, on the sidewalks and stuff. And the police aren't able to do anything. They're unable to do anything about shoplifting because, well, they've changed California law because of the problems with bail in California. So, but this gives the government even more of a, you know, you got to help them, but you got to do something about it. And so they say, oh, we, we can solve both problems at the same time with more money. And that's what usually happens. Gets poorly spent, uh, famously Orange County, California, decided to go out and fix their homeless problem by renting motel rooms for everybody for a few months. That was homeless. Yeah, that was cheap. (laughs) And that's how they got around because the homeless were camping in front of the courthouse and we can't have that going on. So they booted them into the hotels and the lovely people of Orange County paid for it. Thank you. Um, Again, the government loves the homeless, not only because it gives them a reason to exist, but keeps the money coming in to help to help slash fight what's going on. Awesome. Awesome. Jacob, your thoughts. Well, um, there's a lot of nuance in this conversation that doesn't happen on Twitter, which is rarely where rarely where nuance is going to happen anyway. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it's like on one hand, um, I think we would all agree that in general, this is one of those situations where prevention is better than cure. Um, I think ideally we would all agree uh, as libertarians that, you know, free markets tend to be more prosperous and even 
even though I'm, you know, probably more right than Brian in a lot of ways, I'll even use a term that's very anti-right. It's probably more, it's, they're generally more equitable, even, um, even though I'm, I'm not somebody who's, you know, big on equality, free markets do tend to be a lot more equitable than centrally planned markets that tend to, um, you know, have a distribution that's really highly favored towards the top. So Thank you, comrade Jacob. Right. Um, <laughs> well, I know, I'm I'm filling in for Lou tonight, so I don't know. Maybe thank, maybe thank you. Yeah, you know, the, the spirit, my, my inner my inner leftist is uh, coming out in spirit. I guess I don't know. Um, but um, you know, that being said, it, it it's one of those things where the philosophy can can become hard for um us to imply in principle because it's like, okay, well, we know free markets would solve this, but we don't have free markets right now. So so what do we do? And um. A lot of libertarians, including a lot of libertarians that are, you know, generally on, I guess, like uh, that that I run with, um, have been, you know, quoting that Rothbard quote lately um, about, you know, uh, using the cops to solve this problem. Now, on one hand, I, I understand a little bit of where Rothbard was coming from and where people like Dave Smith and others are going with this. Um, when you're having conversations with like your neighbors, especially in the areas where this is a problem, because that's another part, is that like. Homelessness is not a problem that's like the same in every community or the same in every state. Like like here where I live uh, in a in you know kind of like a suburban uh, you know red county kind of like half suburban half rural county in Pennsylvania, we really don't really have a homelessness problem. And the the, the little bit that we do is like you have to kind of go seek out the places to find it. They're not at the parks where children are at. Um, it's a little bit different than, say, like Los Angeles, where you have a giant <laughs> uh, problem with homelessness. Um, and we can get into the numbers on that later. But um, so in the areas where it, it, it is a problem, if you're trying to appeal to your neighbor, it is a very hard hill to die on to say, yes, there are a lot of people in these areas that are supposed to be for your kids and they're taking up space. A lot of them are probably using drugs. There's needles being left around. This is not an environment that you want your kids to be in. And it's hard to reach people who are engaging in just your normal everyday statist high, high time preference mindset to, you know, convince them that police are not the answer to this. Um, I do think that it is true that police are not the answer for this, but it's not going to that's not an answer that's going to be immediately uh, explainable, especially because most people who we're going to be trying to convince this of, like they aren't even red pilled on free markets yet. They aren't red pilled on the the on the police yet. So to them, um, this is a conversation that's very hard to have, and it might be one that like strategically is not the first conversation you want to have with somebody when you're trying to maybe convince them of the libertarian worldview. Uh, that being said, uh, as far as like talking about what the solutions are, we have to also highlight what they aren't. And I, I you know. I understand where the sentiment comes from about using the cops to, to, to do this. But the problem is um, there's no way in the again, in the areas where homelessness is a problem, the cops are not the answer. Or at least the cops are not the answer unless you are willing to uh, accept a giant increase in the number of cops and in the power that they wield. Um, because in the areas where this is a problem, the cops are already... Uh, understaffed and underfunded, and they're being asked to deal with a lot of other problems, um, like the war on drugs, for example, like 
um, you know, just, you know, petty properties disputes and, and all sorts of things that we as libertarians might say, like, okay, well, ideally, we want the cops to only enforce the things that we want them to enforce and not to enforce any of the things we don't want them to do. It's like, well, sure, in theory, but if, if, that if it was that easy to get cops to do what we wanted them to do and to not do what we didn't want them to do, well, then statism would probably work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if it was that easy to get call, you know, politicians and cops to only enforce the things that we want, uh, you know, we wouldn't be in this mess in the first place. So we have to recognize that the incentives are not in our favor here. Um, trying to get the cops to only uh, enforce good laws and, and to take off the things where they make their money. And, you know, to be honest, they make their money in the war on drugs, in, um, you know, in enforcing traffic citations and doing all these things. And if you act like, well, you know, we can just perfectly centrally plan and engineer uh, to, to not expand the police force at all, but to get them to deal with, uh, I think I'm dealing with rough numbers here, but I think it's like in like Los Angeles, for example, you're talking about like, I think, 70,000 homeless in, in, in that county. Um and with the amount of cops that they have on hand, um, I, I, I did this math last week when this was hot. I don't have my, my work in front of me. So, again, I'm dealing rough numbers here. But generally, it's like there's 20 homeless people per square mile. And if you, like, average it out and only two cops per square mile. Well, maybe, so maybe if you if you average out L.A. County, because L.A. County, LA County is like is is uh, our view of counties here. Uh, it's a huge piece. county. Yeah, it's it's right. I'm talking enormous. about L.A. specifically. So I'm talking yeah. about like in the areas where it's a problem, like the, the number of cops on hand available to uh, keep them off the streets or to keep them off parks. It's just not available um, unless you invoke some kind of uh, uh, utopian or nirvana fallacy to think that the cops are only going to do the things you want them to do. So this is inevitably going to lead to it, lead to an increase in cops and calls for them to have more power. And like you said, Brian. Um, give the state, uh, or was it Brian or Hody? I forget which one of you made this point. Gives the state more reasons to justify its existence. So, I, I, I do a lot of work in LA County, Orange County, things like that. There's no way that number is seventy thousand. There's absolutely no way that that is underreported. I, I have, when you go into Long Beach, which is part of LA County, and things like that. There's um, the the long Los Angeles River that comes up there, and there used to be encampments the whole damn way from Long Beach all the way up into there. And that is not a short river. That is several miles. And then underneath every overpass, in town, downtown, uh, when I was staying downtown, we had an office down there, um, I would walk around homeless people. And I'd count at least probably 50 of them on the three blocks I walked to work. Now, unless they're getting up and shifting and watching out for the fat dude from Indiana trying to make money off of me, there's a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so this probably it goes to reinforce be... your point. Though, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 Is... So these are conservative numbers that, that I'm probably yeah. using. It's hard. It's hard to say, but over, it's like a 5,000 mile uh, square square radius that we're talking about here, and at least seventy thousand if not more homeless people. And I, I forget the exact number of cops. Um, I think I have it here. It's like uh, let's see, about ten ten thousand on duty officers. We could maybe add sheriffs or add some other, uh, you know what I mean? So like somebody ten and twenty thousand hypothetical people that could be on the ground to deal with this. But again, that's if like 
we got to realize that they're asked to do a lot of things. And we can't just expect that perfectly engineer that they're only going to enforce the good things we want them to do. The solution has to be, I think, taking, well, two things. One, prevention is better than cure. Um, understanding mental health and the huge role it plays into the homelessness crisis um, and uh, and the economic factors and, and understanding that as we promote more free markets in society, this will uh, alleviate a lot of the economic pressures that lead to homelessness. Um, the, the second answer is, um, you know, we, we, we need private market solutions to the homeless problem. And part of that might be able to come just from the market itself. But I think um, another, I'm going to cater to, to my uh, side of things here. I think that uh, religious institutions really need to, to play a huge role in this solution as well. Uh, church, and it doesn't have to just be Christian, you know, uh, you know, if mosques want to help out, if Jewish temples want to help out, if Unitarian churches want to help out. I mean, I don't care, like any religious or humanitarian institution out there, um, you know, if, if you want your streets to be cleaner, if you want your parks to be safer, then we need to promote a proactive outreach into these areas to help solve these problems, Get it, it, you know, to deal with that triage while we're trying to work towards a better long-term uh, solution. Um, and we have to also recognize that there's no permanent solutions here. And some people have certain issues to them that are so hot that even if they're libertarian minded, they can quickly fall back into that knee jerk. Like, no, this problem is so bad that we can't wait for long term solutions. And we just need, you know, coercion and the power of the state and just just end this now. And again, like there's some problems that, you know, this one doesn't hit home for me because it's not a problem in my area. There are certain problems in certain areas. Oh, hey, Craig. Craig's a friend of mine. Um, question: Are we ignoring the fact that homeless problem is due to the fact that the state even exists? Well, no, we're not. We're not ignoring that. Um, yeah. Like we said, free, free markets would be one of the the, the best preventions to uh, homelessness in the first place. And while the state is, I mean, also let's talk about. I mean, how much of this homeless community are probably veterans, and are you know you know mentally. Uh, traumaed by serving in the military. I mean, there's so many ways in which the state creates this problem in the first place, and that can't be understated at all. So that's a very good point, Craig. Um, but yeah, we, we we have to be cognizant to not let things that we're emotionally triggered by um, trigger us to, to the point where we invoke the state and forget about the long-term consequences of doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I am sympathetic to the fact that this is a harder one to preach to normies who aren't red pilled on that but that's why it's even more important for us to not advocate that at least within our own circles because like we do understand this stuff so we, we you know to ourselves we should be able to talk about those solutions openly when we're engaging with the public um you gotta pick and choose your battles wisely and yeah i mean uh you know if i moved into an area with a major homelessness problem you know maybe this isn't a, ba a hill that i would die on uh you know, like like I would insist upon heavily if someone who is not yet libertarian minded thinks the police are needed for this for this problem. I'm sympathetic to their reasons. Um, we have to we have to engage in that long uh, process of of disavowing them of of their status mindsets over time. And that might mean focusing on other areas where they're more amenable. Yeah, yeah. I feel you. Um, yeah. So for me, the the idea is this is kind of a difference between what's our technical policy and what's our culture. 
you know, and what, what is our ideas about it? Cause I think I would be lying if I said there was any one single libertarian solution to this. And I think one of the beauties of libertarianism is it allows for a variety of solutions. Um, unfortunately, the police don't really fit in that because that's not really a libertarian solution, but like it, it, there are many answers to this and there's a lot of people with different uh, solutions and some are really great and really creative that the state doesn't allow um, right now, which, which is unfortunate. Um, episode 303 of we're libertarians. It's an older episode back in 2018 um one of the best episodes that you'll hear it was with mark warner he does uh he does outreach with uh for the homeless uh he ended up working in politics a, a little bit um but the I, what he did is he got really creative with it and he decided to make a place that had that what they did was they would take some homeless folks in they would have them work for them and in exchange, they would pay their bills, right? They would say, I'll pay your bills. I'll keep you fed. Here's a phone. Here's TV. Here's a bed. Sleep here. And these folks paid for all of that. And what they did is slowly over time enabled them to say, okay, look, you're working for us because they, they had like a front, right? It almost sounds like black market, but they had like a, a restaurant front. And they were like, okay, here's the money we made today. You're, you would get this amount. I'm not going to give it to you right now because you're not in a place where you know how to handle that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this money and I'm going to turn that into an apartment, a phone, your food, some really cool stuff. Hey, you want to trip downtown for the weekend? Yeah, let's like we'll pay for that. And what they did is they slowly showed these people how it worked and then slowly gave them control of their own finances. And at first in the same situation, like, hey, you pay us for your rent instead of us just automatically keeping it right. Like. And unfortunately, the government didn't like that very much. Um, at the time that Chris did the episode, I can't remember if the government had already shot them down yet, but the government was definitely yeah. not happy about it and not pleased. Um, it's not a small thing. And I think there is a, there's a certain libertarian undercurrent um, that once, that once liberty, what it is, is what we want to do is we kind of either get tempted to use the state one way or the other, either violently and clear them or give them the money that they need. And I think that there's a place in between there. And I think what that place is, you can teach a man to fish and give a man to fish. Now, if I'm not being a collapsitarian, I would suggest that the government give them some money, teach them to live on their own, slowly take away that money as they learn to live on their own. How well does the government do at that welfare kind of program? They do <laughs> catastrophically terrible. They waste it, they, and there's no incentive for them to decrease it. Uh, I could show you any number of studies that have shown that this has drastically increased the issues regarding poverty. Um, so there, there is some truth uh, about the only amount of truth, because I'm, I'm definitely not a brutalist, but there is an amount of truth to saying that, yeah, if, if we just give them money and say it's okay, and like we kind of we zone them in a certain area, and you get comfortable in that area, and then that money's either there or it's gone. Right. Like, and I, under, I understand there's different kinds of welfare, like, like food stamps. Right. And it's like, okay, so you got food stamps. Sure. But it's either there or it's gone. And that can be like $400 a month. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I just worked. And if I work this minimum wage job, then I made 600, but I'm losing my 400. So basically what I'm doing is I'm trading, you know, uh, 
240 hours of work for $200 a month. I think I'll just take my life right now. You know, like, like this is good where I'm at right now. And so there's a mentality there, but I think that the important thing is to get out of it. Now, one of my pet peeves, especially with homelessness, we had this, we had a big thing with homelessness. So I have some personal experience with this one here in Utah. Um, right here in Ogden, actually, we made national headlines because our police force was one of the ones that was like, let's, uh, they issued like a, it's illegal to feed them. It's illegal to give them clothing. It's illegal to, we will stop you from doing this. At first it was just like a gentle discouragement. And then they made it a full fledged, like we will stop you if you try to implement any of these solutions that you have. Um, They actually took all of their tents and destroyed them. Um, they had a, an encampment out here and they just would come, come through. They cited a bunch of um, terrible, I, I actually put together a list and I probably should have pulled it up for this episode, but they put together a bunch of terrible excuses, like crime has increased in the area, but it's like the crime, the crimes were like not homeless related. They were not homeless issues that they, they were just it was it was just somebody robbed a store and then they said well and then also there's homelessness that correlation causation thing didn't work out they said that the fire department had to respond to this bonfire no the fire department did respond to a fire that was going in the encampment they did not have to it was very much controlled and they decided to and if gosh i wish i could show that they were like people need to walk through this area and i actually took a picture of it on facebook it's like right by this highway there isn't even a sidewalk there there is no through traffic that walks through this place it is not by a school or any of those things that they were saying you know and they just wanted them gone in fact they didn't in that part they didn't even pretend they just said what what we need to do is lock down for a little bit they will move on and then they will be gone now part of when the libertarians here in weber county got got into this problem ogden is in weber county counties cities. There's a weird relationship there, but yeah. Um, when we got involved, we found that not everybody was homeless for the same reason. And mental illness, of, of course, is an issue, right? PTSD, of course, is an issue. I, I, and I, I, I say this with, I think it's okay to say that most of them have mental wellness issues because I think most human beings have mental wellness issues. However, we actually had an increase because of a bunch of, uh, of very young kids, some of them very bright and intelligent. And when COVID was going on and our businesses were getting shut down and money hadn't kicked in, they actually decided to get tents and save money on rent. And so they actually were part of this. And so you would, I was actually shocked at how many of them were cognizant. They just said, you know, we don't want to pay this amount. We're going to sleep out here until this whole thing kind of boils over because we don't have the money to make our rent. Um a couple of the a couple of them even had homes that they decided to rent out during the crisis because rent prices were going up. And so they were like, yeah, we figured we could make a few bucks. And and so it was people are homeless for for different reasons. And uh, understanding that is so important when we talk about the solution, because we tend to think of one solution. But again, I reiterate the beauty of libertarianism is having that number of solutions. Now, we can talk about what not to do right? Government sucks at welfare. Welfare is not necessarily bad in and of itself. Because I do think, I I love the Mark Warner strategy, you know, give them some money, 
or don't give them some money and then slowly give it to them until they learn to handle it, learn to manage their life. Rupert does very similar things with troubled kids as far as let me gradually show you how to have this awesome life. And, uh, and, and it's great and it's successful. Government doesn't like it, but then the, what the government offers is terrible. Oh, but also ending the drug war, obviously problems there. H having it so people are allowed to sleep in their car. I mean, who who is that hurting? If you're in a legally parked parking spot and you decide to crash in it, that's something. Not having to register your car, that would be a big one as well, especially if people are low on it. Um, the free market would be a massive problem solver for this because people don't understand exactly how real estate works. And I don't want to get too in the economics because I understand that this is confusing. Oh, oh I know, I know. But uh, one of the biggest, uh, in fact, I will even pull this up right now. One of the biggest uh, lobbyist institutions is the National Realty Associations of America because they want to stay a monopoly. And here's the problem. When we talk about this bubble, you know why housing gets so many more bubbles than everything else? Because there's only one company. There's only one company that you have to go through. We have all this land. We have way more land. We have way more houses than we have homeless people and families, right? So just the market would say this very simply. When you have an excess of something, the excess is waste. When you have that waste, that waste becomes free. Right. Like this is a very simple thing. But the problem is, is what we've said is we've said, well, no, this waste is controlled and it's not accessible. No one's allowed to have this waste. Right. And they do this with food a lot, too. When you say when these you know restaurants come by and they're like, hey, we got a bunch of mashed potatoes here and stuff. Oh, you're not allowed to have that waste. I know it's extra and it should be free, but you're not allowed to have it. You're not allowed to do that. Libertarians really do try. And I, I do want to reiterate, because a lot of people are like, well, why don't you just do it now? Look what, look what food, not bombs, Houston is going through right now. Mm -hmm. They are exercising aggressive civil disobedience under the threat of being arrested. And if there weren't the sheer number of them that there were, they would go to prison, right? Because they have engaged in mass civil disobedience. And the police, I believe, even issued a statement saying not that what they were doing was legal, but that right now it's not worth their time to bust them because there's so many of them, right? And they're united. And that's It's tough getting libertarians to unite, but there's something to it there. One of the problems is, though, is people like us, even we here in Weber County, we're a big part of the solution here, engaged in some civil disobedience, but we certainly weren't showing it off. Like, I wasn't going to go in front of a cop and hand a homeless guy a coat. Like, I didn't want to go to prison. I did it, but I didn't want to go to prison for it. And so I wasn't going to let anybody see it. You know, when you have these churches and it's just three or four people and they'll start pouring bleach in the food and yep. they'll just say like, hey, you guys aren't allowed to feed the homeless. You guys aren't allowed to do this right now. Some cases they even have the permit that they're allowed to and the cops bust it up anyway. And then they're like, oh, I guess we made a mistake and they were allowed to do it. Eh. You know, and, yep. and so what, what happens as a libertarian is you say, well, we have these solutions, but we're not allowed to implement them. And you have to be willing to break the laws to implement a lot of these. And you have to be willing to work with the law, which is also kind of crappy as a libertarian to say, you need to have to apply for this permit. You need to have this amount of hot water. It needs to be running. You need to have access to electricity. You need to have access. And when you're just like, I've just got a pan of mashed potatoes. Like, I just, that, that's what I'm offering tonight. You know what I mean? Why can I not do this? You know? And look, I understand. The, and they always issue this great, oh, I hate this. 
Oh, it's for their safety. This isn't hasn't been under quality control. We haven't checked mm-hmm. it. It's it might not yeah. be safe for them. What if they get sick? You're letting them die in the streets right now. Don't talk to me about what happens if they get sick when they eat some mashed potatoes, right? This is the whole razors and Halloween candy thing, which has never once happened in the history of ever. But they make it look like that's what's going on, and it's rampant. And like, man, yeah, so yeah, I guess one or two might get a cold or something, but like. I mean, please, right? They're starving to death. Allow Cody, us- Big Brother looks after you. Yeah. Big Brother loves and, you. Big Brother and, and, and that's the thing is that that's just why government loves the homeless because number one, they make it so that no one can live in certain areas, basically the poor. Uh, if you look at California, you look at it, and this is what I was going to talk about here. Uh, California sets it up to where only certain developers can set up in certain areas. They have planned communities like Irvine and things like that. These are all planned communities. So the plan didn't have a, uh, where are the people who are going to pick our strawberries and stuff are going to live? They're going to live out in the desert. So, and that's what these people want to have happen. And it's disgusting, but it it's, it's just what government does. Government sits there and says, we're going to do what we have to protect you. We know this big book of law, which should be this thick, mm-hmm. um, leading it. Um, or, I mean, and and we can interpret it any way we want. And I'm going to address Reinhold's comment right there, if we can reverse it back, that libertarians oh, yeah. should be leading this effort, but they aren't, which is sad to me. You know, I'm trying to remember if there's this guy in Indiana who's doing something. We just mentioned him earlier. What was his name? He also ran for governor of libertarian under the libertarian ticket. So, you know, I, I think maybe Rupert's doing something. Uh, yes, we should do more, uh, Reinhold, obviously, but there's literally only so much we can do in the realm of what the government wants to do. And if the government wants to keep the homeless homeless because they make housing unaffordable because they're in the pockets of big real estate developers who then want the vagrants thrown out of their pretty little new houses that they can't sell because of the bubble. Um, then they get stuck with the homeless coming around there. The police come in, push them out to another place where they don't want them. And the cycle keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. And throughout the entire time, we have all these government agencies with these highly educated people who took thousands of hours of classes to learn how to deal with the homeless, drive up in their BMWs and say, hey, here's an 800 number you can call to go ahead and see if they can get you on a list. That's literally what happens in a lot of these cases. Yes, they have people who do outreach and there are some people who do a wonderful job, but the government's set up to keep these people homeless over and over. And he's right that libertarians should be leading this, but to say that we aren't and that it's sad is I think completely false. So. One of the, one of the things that, uh, um, that, that I wanted to highlight too, is as much as like maybe for, for, for decades, the homeless problem might, might be driven by, uh, mental health issues or zoning issues. And I think that's all valid, but, um, there's a very good chance in the future that we might see more, uh, issues with, with homelessness being caused purely by economic stuff. I mean, just think about how crazy things have been, how crazy inflation has been, um, the economy after the lockdowns, uh, you know, I can even, you know, here's a talking point. What about people that lose their jobs because, uh, they aren't complying with the, you know, vaccine requirements, which is another hot topic issue in libertarian circles. Um, but there's a lot of ways that people can 
you know, be perfectly skilled, productive people, but fall on a, a you know, a bad uh, lot of luck. And, and uh, things happen that, uh, you know, they might not be homeless forever, but they, they might be, you know, you know, a week or two, month or two or, or, uh, or whatever. And uh, <laughs> hamburger helper, come on, Hody. Big, big, like I said, big brother's just trying. Elastic to giraffe. He's dropping some awesome bombs here, Hody. That, <laughs> yes. box, that box of overstock hamburger helper is simply too dangerous. Two days expiring. <laughs> you can't eat I, it at that point. <laughs> I, I'm sorry that you fixed up this wonderful food for these people. We're going to go ahead and pour bleach all over oh it. As opposed to the, going the, the, the stories about bleach yeah. on food during like when well, COVID hit and Kansas that. City. Yeah. I mean, just, that was it. Yeah. That, it's just awful. I mean, and you know what, Hody, you, you brought up a, a part about like churches there. And I just want to comment mm-hmm. on that a little bit too. Yeah. Um, you know, the churches are, are way too focused on obeying the letter of the law and not the commands of Christ. And uh, I know this isn't a Christian podcast, but I'm going to take a quick uh, 30 seconds to I, call that I out. I take minutes. Have fun. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if, you know, when Jesus says that, which you've done to the least of these, you've mm-hmm. done unto me and you're more concerned about your 501 C tax status or, Oh, but Romans 13 says to submit to governing authorities, which um, yeah, I mean, I don't even want to get into that. That's a whole um, uh, rabbit trail right there. But um, you know, uh, most important thing I think is what Jesus told us to do. Um, he told us to be light and salt into the world. He told us uh, to love our neighbor. And um, if you're more concerned about w- the consequences of your actions by a satanic state than you are uh, for following Christ, especially if you're a, a church leader, um, you need to question your priorities, I think, a little bit. Um, a, a lot of this problem could be solved. Like, yeah, libertarians could be leading the charge. Reinhold, you're right. But I'm, you know, uh, although I wear the libertarian hat, I also, uh, you know, my the first hat I wear is that of a Christian. And let me tell you, if Christians were doing what Christians were supposed to be doing, this would not be a problem. Um, and so uh, we need less Joel Olsteins and we need more uh, people doing things like what Foods Not Bombs does and more people. Uh, yeah, put, put Romans 13. Yeah. Yeah. Submit to the governing authorities, which, you know. You know, Paul wrote half the New Testament in jail, um, but, you know, always submit to the governing authorities. Of course. Yeah, yeah. No, I, well, I know we could you and I could both go off on that one. And you have had to several times. Every time you discuss your Christianity with uh, libertarians, you have to talk about Romans 13. We'll we'll yeah. we'll hold off. I, I on need, that a, for a I need a shirt. I need a shirt that just says Romans 13. Like yeah. instead of <laughs> it's Romans 13. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um. You know, I I think uh, uh, I think I, I want to see more happening. I do love the religious institutions. I think religious institutions, and I don't think, like you said, like libertarianism, it's incompatible. So let's say libertarian is just too big a tent, and we can't come to a single conclusion of what to do. Well, then fine. Have libertarians working with your churches. Have libertarians working with the Boy Scouts. Have li- whatever you know. What I mean? Have libertarians working with whoever to do what you need to do. You know, like yeah. uh, the the food not bombs thing. Yeah, that's not a libertarian initiative. Are there libertarians who are working with that initiative? Oh hell yeah, you know. And like I think that that's something you need to be ready to do. We Weber County libertarians could not have done what we did for liber- for the homeless in this in Ogden. 
unless we had non-libertarians that were that we could work with. And yeah, we took some leadership on it. And we, you know, and, and we we were the ones that were kind of talking about civil disobedience and and doing it anyway, right? But we met plenty of other people that were down with doing it anyway that weren't didn't want to over overthrow the city council tomorrow. You know, and we said, okay, well, you know what, we can work together with you on this one and fix this issue. You know, um, really great things that you can do. Um if you want, if you are passionate, especially about homelessness, uh, I'll guess I'll throw out a plug here. The Vermin Supreme Institute, if you want to donate money to them, they actually will help you get set up or uh, actually they'll donate money to you to get set up um, to kind of to, to help uh, like build a homeless um, like food storage on your property if you want to do that or and they'll work with you there. It's just a good it's a good place if you want to get get all that started, uh, regardless of your feelings about the goofiness of Ver Vermin Supreme. But uh, he, they're good on that, you know, and it's something that you can actually do if you're just sick, sick of kind of sitting around whining about it and watching it. Um, different places suffer with this in different levels. You know, we're kind of back to our pre-COVID levels here in Ogden. Um, that's not to say we've eradicated homelessness, but it's certainly 1% of the size of what it used to be, you know, and, and a lot of that had to do with a lot of help and donations and, and what we did. And I just think it's a matter of finding solutions. And maybe you, everybody wants to find that solution within the Libertarian Party. And maybe, and I will say this, like maybe the philosophy doesn't tell us how to help the homeless. But like I said, that needs to be used as an advantage and not a disadvantage. I do think it is fair to say if you are pressed and pressed and somebody just won't let it go, it is fair to say, yeah, libertarians don't believe in welfare and we're just not going to give money to the government to do it for us. OK, like I'm sorry, if that's the bad news and that's the bad news. Now, I don't in in line with again my christian values jacob what you were saying i like to do the gospel i like to do the good news thing let me tell you the good news about libertarianism too many liber libertarians are willing to they want to lead with the bad news there's this shock value right this edgelordism that we say i want to lead with the bad news about homelessness i don't think that that's the right solution here and i don't think you have to be scared because i think part of it and i recognized it during this podcast i said this is a trap. This welfare thing that the government has you on, there's a right way to do it, and they do it the wrong way. And so, yeah, should we eliminate them doing that? Yes, we should. Does that mean we don't give give fish or teach fish anymore? No, absolutely not. Like, that's what we as libertarians, I want a million ways to give people fish and a trillion ways to teach people to fish. And the more we have access to that, and the more we can do that, the more we can actually take care of these communities that the government has frankly kept trapped forever. And that does involve more than just get rid of the welfare and see what happens to them. There's so many things the government is doing that it needs to get rid of before we can say, all right, get rid of the welfare. And like, I mean, and here's, I did want to bring this up and I will, I will even finish with this and I'll allow you, you guys to, to kind of finish things off from here. One of my issues with the Rothbard quote, obviously he's writing about right-wing populism and not libertarianism. It, I understand it's freaking Murray Rothbard, right? Like one of the dopest and caps of all time. Yeah. Late Rothbard went right-wing populist. I, you just have to contend with that. It's something that happened. Right. But I think the, the big issue that I have with him here is that he says, well, not the white collar criminals. I'm talking about the muggers in the street. Well, why not the white collar criminals here? Why not the politicians? Why not the people who steal billions of dollars or millions of dollars and rip people off left and right? Why would you not unleash the cops on them as well? 
you know, like I, I, I right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, they that's won't. the problem, right? This yeah. is the problem here. You, but like, you, this is, this is my thing is I'm just, I think for me, you need like the consistency is lacking there because if you would do it to a homeless person, why is your rage there for a homeless person that you would unleash the cops on them? And believe me, as libertarians, you know what the cops do to somebody when you unleash the cops on them, right? Why would you unleash it on a homeless person, but wouldn't unleash it on like Bernie Madoff, right? Oh, or, yeah. or, or Gisley Maxwell, right? Like, why would you not unleash the cops on these white, <laughs> white collar criminals, but you would unleash it on a mugger? Don't get me wrong, guys. Mugging sucks. I'm making absolutely no excuses. I really hate it. This is like kind of like a left wing thing when you're like, no, it's okay to destroy property when, or it's okay to rob somebody if it's small or if you're, no, 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 no stealing for anybody, none for anybody. But that's what I'm saying is it's like you can unleash the cops on everybody instead of being like, well, this is kind of pleasant crime and this is unpleasant crime. Like, anyway, that's all I got to say. Uh, please love the homeless, please. And then, uh, uh, Brian, you can issue. Brian, Jacob, you should issue some closing thoughts and then we'll get to the peace of my mind segment. Yeah, the, the one thing I just want to say about this is and I'm just going to ask this because I know you, you two are, are are deeply Christian and, of course, hail Satan here. Um, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't think any of us would complain if the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster or Church of Satan or the Agnostics United Front or the Agnostic, Agnostic, Agnostic person um, group, whatever, or the Judean People's Front decide to go out and put together a program that maybe helps some homeless. I'm guessing none of you guys would have a problem with that, right? No, no. So yeah. that's the thing is that I, I I know people are like, but this is more of a larger, you know, societal human issue like that. But there, as Hody said in the beginning of this, there's hundreds of reasons, thousands of reasons why people are homeless. Now, right now, and a lot of it is mental abuse, um, uh, drug abuse, things like that. Um, but let's, you know, we're a country of 330 million people. Let's find 330 million different solutions and find the ones that work, as opposed to the one that just wants to keep people cycling through the programs. So. All right. So Jacob, close us off, buddy. Mm -hmm. So. And and this ties a little bit into my peace of mind later, but it's, I think, an important thing to close this out with on. Um, you know, so libertarianism is often, we, we talk about it, and, and even I have said this before, that it's a kind of a thin philosophy. Um, and it pertains to right, and, and I believe that, you know, again, being usually the guy that comes on here and is the, the other than Brian, a very, you know, right-wing guy, Austrian libertarian uh, I, I agree in, in general with the, the sentiment, at least in a libertarian sense, that all rights are fundamentally property rights and that libertarianism is, is about private property. But that isn't all libertarianism is about. And there is a point where you make it too narrow. And, that's, and to say that libertarianism is just about property rights, and that's part of why some libertarians are coming out against the homeless is because it's like well they're trespassing on well it's not private property maybe it's public property but still like it's it's public property that's not intended for them it's intended for children it's intended for 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 other people and they're posing they're, they're trespassing it's a tragedy of the commons kind of thing they're they're posing some kind of threat um now obviously 
you know, one thing we maybe didn't mention here, like, obviously, if there is a homeless person who is initiating aggression against somebody, okay, call the cops. Like, if a homeless person's coming at, at you, going after and attacking people, I don't have any problem with you calling the cops on that person, okay? Um, and I hope that goes without saying. Um, or if somebody's, like, trying to, you know, be hand out heroin to, to kids and something. Like, okay, like, there, there are lines where it's, like, I, I think that's probably not a common everyday occurrence, but, you know. Right, if, right, if, if see, they're with the razor blades right. and the breezy cuffs, okay. Right, like, you know, if, you <laughs> yeah. actually, if you actually see aggression happening, I'm okay with defensive force to protect people especially to protect children and i'm very sympathetic to why rothbard and other libertarians um ha have made this talking point and I, I understand where it comes from i understand where non-libertarians where their concern comes from um but although libertarianism is about private property rights the reason why we care about private property rights is because those are fundamental to what our actual end goals are because to care about private property rights just for the sake of private property rights is just way too thin. Like that's like, you know, starving thin. That's 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 that's, uh, um, you know, like anorexic thin. That's not that's not healthy. We care about private property. I care about private property rights because as Mises said, those are foundational to what our actual goals are, which are what social cooperation and peace among men. And. You know, calling cops on people who are homeless is not the solution. And it's not, it actually is antithetical to promoting peace among men and social cooperation. Um, when we when we go for the uh, knee-jerk, immediate, like, solutions that are really just band-aids for a deeper problem, um, we are doing a disservice to ourselves. There are many different uh, reasons that people become homeless, and there are many different solutions and I think we as libertarians should focus on all of those solutions that are out there that don't involve using the police. Awesome. Uh, thank you for that, both of you. Uh, the thin, the thin, thick libertarianism, just for anybody who's listening, because it might go over our, our audience's heads. I, I didn't know what it was until like a few months ago when I started hearing it pick up more and more. We actually talked about it in the group chat. Um, thin is kind of like the minimum like line you know versus thick whereas like is everything so like in christianity a thin christian would be like as long as you accept jesus it's okay whereas a thick christian would be like you take care of your neighbor you you know you you uh, honor the sabbath you know you you, keep you believe in covenants. infant baptism and you believe in this things about the 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 eucharist and like all these different things and, and right. yeah and, 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 and the with, blending of fabrics and things like that and combining <laughs> Fields of corn and and, and when people take your apples, you're allowed to shoot them. <laughs> Small, no, no, no. We use only tactical, only the finest tactical nuclear weapons. Right, right. By, by by thin libertarianism, I mean like only making libertarianism the essentials versus like right. adding things that um, maybe are more cultural or maybe more you know like like not something that everybody would need to be in order to be um, uh, ex uh, expressing. Uh, libertarian philosophy. I prefer it to be as thin as as is ideal, um, but there is a point I think where it gets so thin that you're missing the point. If you're if you're right. just if, if your whole thing for libertarianism is pro property is God, it's like that's a problem because that's not even what Mises believed. Like the reason Mises talked about private property rights is because they are foundational to peace and social cooperation. We're, and th that's our 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 biggest thing as libertarians is we're pro peace. 
right? right? Like that that is why I'm a yes. libertarian. It's because I am pro peace. Yeah. The the anybody who thinks like uh, I, and I think there's times for both. I think there's time to be like, listen, it's this simple, but here's where it goes. Here's where it's leading. You know, and I think that's why it's so important to talk about that when we when we look at things like uh you know, I mean, not just Christianity, but when you look at libertarianism, why are there these thick books if all libertarianism is don't hurt people and don't take their stuff? Well, let me tell you where you go from there, you know, and like yeah. there's a world of awesome that comes from not hurting people and not taking their stuff. If that's the minimum, great. But there's so much more to go from there. I probably register more on the thick libertarian side just because I love it so much, but I'm definitely not a gatekeeper about it. You know, like I'm definitely not like a, and nobody else except for me and my breed of libertarians are allowed to call themselves libertarians. I mean, it's just, uh, the, the thick can get crazy and the thin can get crazy. And honestly, I think you just kind of understand where you're, where you're at. Um, all right, we're going to end this segment by doing a quick little piece of trivia. And I think this will be fun. Uh, I said the National Association of Realtors. So they are the number two uh, mm -hmm. Highest as far as bribing politicians at thirty-one million or thirty-one million dollars in twenty twenty-one, at twenty-six point four million dollars. Can either of you guess who the number one institution that lobbies politicians is? Organized labor. Close. How about you, Jacob? What do you think? Number one single institution. Oh, besides, oh, I know the other one. I don't know, Brian. What's your other guess? Defense contractors. <laughs> You know, uh, they are actually separate. So you got Raytheon, yeah. Lockheed, and like yeah. uh, Boeing, like all together at that ten to twelve million dollar range. At tw at forty six point four million dollars, the number one people who bribe your politicians, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, yeah, other politicians. True. Yep, the politicians bribe themselves the more than anybody else. <laughs> And then second, you've got the Association of Realtors. So yep. there's a fun little fact to close out this segment. Segment. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Hang on for just a minute, and we are going to get to the Peace of My Mind segment. And welcome back from the break, everybody. So happy to have you around. Uh, all right, Peace of My Mind. I'm going to lead this guy off. So I am, uh, I do Christmas, uh, again, with the, the, the Christian tradition thing. Um, one of the things that I love about holidays Uh is the ones that you can share with other people. And there's a lot of, I think there's so much of an identity focused on exclusivity. But one of the things that I found is that inclusivity are, inclusivity is more important to me than the exclusive stuff. So the inclusive stuff that Christians can do for me has more meaning than the exclusive stuff that Christians do. And inviting people to celebrate Christian for Christmas for me I think makes Chris, Christmas and Christ, the message of Christ more universal. I think it's something, it's an opportunity for us to share it with everybody. That's just a little opinion thing, but I watched Christmas Carol and there's this line. I watch it probably every year. It's my, I don't really like Charles Dickens. Shoot me. I just don't, but he's a, he's a kind of an interesting bird because he was always, uh, he, he intentionally never wanted to get involved with politics. So he had a lot of messages, but he never wanted to say what a political solution was. Now I, do not believe he was an anarchist. I would never pretend to make him that. Um, I, in fact, I would probably put him in line with more of the welfare style, you know, based on some of his literature, I'd probably put him there. But I like the fact, I respect the fact that he didn't preach for government solutions. He preached for societal solutions. 
And something in the Christmas Carol that that just it hit me hard this year, and I don't know why, but there's this quote from Jacob Marley, uh, Scrooge's old business partner, who, for those who aren't familiar with the story, he dies and uh, visits Scrooge in the afterlife. He actually introduces the three spirits. He says, hey, you're going to have these three spirits come visit you. So all those three spirits that got famous, he's the not famous one at the beginning. He used to work with Scrooge in life. He forged these long chains and he's really sad because he is like, he is, he is burdened with what he did in life and that's carried with him till death. And he has this quote that I just think is phenomenal because Scrooge says, hey, what's wrong with you? I thought you were always a man of business. And he responds and says, business, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. And I just, it hit me hard because I think I put a lot of stock into, I'm, I'm very, I don't think I'm egotistical, but I'm a very ego-driven person for those who've kind of familiar with Freudian stuff. I, I, I judge myself based on my accomplishments. I don't, I'm not a very id-driven person. Like, who am I? What do I, I'm, I'm very much like, a, look what I did today. Let me show you this thing that I cooked. Let me show you this thing that I fixed. This is who I am. You can judge me by my stuff, you know? Um, and, and so that is kind of how I, I judge myself. And I think a lot of that is, is good because I think that there's a, there's a helpful element to saying, you know, walking the talk, for example, right? I don't like to just talk about what I am. I like, like to be able to show it off. And I think this shows up in my work. But at the same time, there is a perspective that you have to have about your work in that I don't think your work it needs to define your entire life. You know, uh, I think that part of your work, if you look, when you get to the afterlife, or even if you don't believe in the afterlife, right? I just think if you take a step back and look at life and you say, what was the most important business that I conducted? And I got to say that internet fight that you're having is probably not going to rank as highly as you think. That, man, I really showed that guy up on Facebook or Twitter is probably not going to rank as high as you think. Or even you know, even, hey, I stayed an extra three hours at work to help people catch up and I had to miss my son's softball game. I'm a great person. It's not going to age as well as you think when you take a step back and you look at everything. I know I had to make a decision a while back when I was in restaurant management and it, it came down to this and it was, you can work 80 hour weeks for the rest of your life. And I was perfectly capable of doing it. And you'll be recognized for what you do, but here's what you're going to give up. You're going to give up on these moments with your family. Um, what it made me crack one day is I saw this Calvin and Hobbes comic and it's a silent one, but it's just the dad working. And then Calvin's like, can we play outside? And he's like, I got to work. And then he decides to just let it go. And at the end, Calvin gives him a kiss goodnight. It's just a sweet little cute comic. But I just remember like being in like joyful tears at the end of it and just saying like, that's kind of what I'm doing is, Hey, I'm sorry, I picked up that extra shift for somebody tonight because this person didn't show up or we're going to have an inspection on Monday. So I'm, I, I need to stay and make this thing perfect. And I always had people in my life that accepted it. Nobody got upset with me about it. Everybody was like, oh yeah, that's Hody. He's just a hard worker. That's what he does. But my life is so much richer now for forfeiting that opportunity and deciding to go small ball with my life. 
I would probably be in a situation where I'd be able to take three international vacations a year if I kept on the course that I was going. And now I probably can take none. I might take one for the rest of my life. But my life is better because I decided to do that just on a daily basis. And it's because I kind of, I'm touched by this quote just because it has so much to do with what my real business here on earth is supposed to be. And it really is supposed to be getting in touch with my community, you know, being really connected here in Ogden with the prisons and the homeless shelters and the the runaway teens and, and all that stuff has been so much more important to me than whether it's social media fighting or staying late at work or whatever it may be. I understand we convince ourselves certain things are important. We get it into our heads and we say, no, like this is your job. Your job comes first. I understand that. But does it? Like, are you going to look back on all this and say, I'm glad I put my job first? Like, I think jobs are good. I think that's maybe a top 10 thing to have there. You know, I'm, I know Jacob Marley says it's a, what, a, a drop in the comprehensive ocean that was his business. Maybe I'd have it a bigger chunk than a drop in the ocean of his business. Uh, but I do think that there is some important uh, lesson and lesson to learn there. And I, I just... Personally, my life is richer because of it. I, I hope that resonates with somebody else. Uh, one of those many, many stories that I just told. But uh, I, I hope that you think about it a little bit and do some maybe re-engaging and re, re, uh, reprioritizing, I guess, of your life. If you're feeling like maybe you're not doing everything you could do, change it up. You know, there there is absolutely no shame. at all. You may get shame from like a family member, but again, how much is that going to matter in the long run? If you decide, hey, you know what? I don't need more than a studio apartment. If it's just me and, you know, or maybe if I have kids, okay, I need a few rooms. But do I really need this massive yard? Do I really need it? Am I getting the joy out of it? Am I getting back from it what I am putting into it? Is mankind getting back from it what I am putting into it? Because there's so many simple things that I promise that if you go and and you offer your services to a shelter or a, a, a underground railroad teen runaway situation, or or what your work is appreciated. My goodness, uh, we have plenty. There are always plenty of people willing to feed the homeless, but the issue in uh, where where we were at was uh, organizing all of the food. They had like people would come in and take out, dump all these boxes, and we're like, oh my gosh, there's flour everywhere, there's these fruits everywhere, and they need somebody to organize it. I promise you that you're going to find a lot of value in that. Now, maybe you're finding value in something else, in which case you can just ignore what I'm what I'm talking about here. Maybe you've already made this change. But I know for me personally, I needed to take a time out in my life and just be like, is this really what I want? Because that international vacation, yeah, it would have been fun, but what I'm doing is a lot better and I'm a lot happier doing this instead of doing that teach their own. I understand. Take it for what you will, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. You guys, any thoughts about uh, Ebenezer Scrooge? <laughs> I liked my international vacations. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. They're so actually, <laughs> actually really good bonding moments for my kids and me. Good. I, I've worked from home for the past 20 years plus. So I, I have, I mean, I go away for work and things like that, but I'm home 95% of the time. In fact, some of the times they want me out the door. Um, so it, it's nice to be able to get away. But the thing is that for me, at least, especially this last year, the, um, uh, 
Are you saying that my 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 office is my prison? This is uh, yeah. Elastic Giraffe uh, is giving you an Ebenezer Scrooge quote. Yes. Are there no uh, prisons? Yes. And the workhouses, are they, are they still in operation? Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> I, I never, I mean, I identify, I, I read the story, but it's been so long. So anyhow, there's a lot of, yeah, and this I one, yeah. This <laughs> the perfect evolution of beards. Yep, you're right. I, I forgot to <laughs> shave this week. So anyhow. Um, but you but, did wear a different shirt. Yeah, I did for me because <laughs> you know this is the way. So anyhow, um, <laughs> we have but, so many like weird inside jokes on this show. <laughs> Christy's <laughs> dropping another one. She says, "Let me yeah, see your meat, see your meat. meat, so I can judge it." Yeah, I smoke meat. This is not as sexual as it sounds. Uh, is... <laughs> yes, it is. I've seen some. I've seen some of the things that guys you watch in the, the way that you church. take those photos, Hody. I mean, like, <laughs> it, seems, it seems a little sensual for you. <laughs> if you ever look at Meat Church and these other programs that are like that, it kind of starts getting a little, little, uh, kind of crossing the line here. You know, that is an inanimate object. So I guess there are no laws against it. But <laughs> Hody with, his, Hody with his, uh, his, his meat cooking is sometimes like the guys who have nothing in their life, but like this old car that they've restored 10 times. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is ve- the attitude. I can tell you right now is very similar to that. That is what's I, going through my head the whole time. Like this my, is my this is my stuff. <laughs> my my joy for, of smoking is seriously just to watch people's faces and they go, "Oh my god, he can actually do this right." And then I go, "Okay, good. I've I've, I've accomplished something in this world." The the last year actually, the scary thing is that this last year of COVID and everything else, uh, professionally has been very rewarding for me. Um, I'm doing stuff now that I'm dedicating a lot of time to. Um, but it's a good reason for it. And it's been very rewarding for me in a lot of different ways. So I, I kind of take kind of the antithesis approach on this. There's a balance. Um, yeah. My kids have always known that when the doors close, I'm working, I'm doing something. Now the house is on fire or something like that. Obviously come get me. But when the doors open, the doors open. And, you know, there's times... And it gets easier, especially the less kids we have in the house. Now we're down to one teenager who goes to work every day. So he comes home exhausted and passes out and understands the separation between work and home life. Um, so I, as you said, Hody, everyone's got a balance to find. Find yours. If yours is dragging you out of the house 60, 70 hours a week to something that's not fulfilling, Find a way to make it fulfilling if you're dedicating yeah. that much of your life, especially now because people are really in demand in a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I can safely say that if I was doing the same thing I was doing three years ago, four years ago, might not be doing it now. So, yeah. Jacob? Uh, yeah, the whole time you were talking, Hody, I was thinking of that song, uh, uh, Captain the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. Yes, little boy. And then uh, I didn't hear. I didn't actually know like the the melody part of that song until like I was an adult, and I was like, "Really? Oh my gosh! Oh god, that I song was." Unite with my dad. Well, yeah, that, that's that, that, well, I I've gone through an actual like. I mean, my my oldest son came up to me. Um, this was like last year, and I was working a lot of hours, and I've since cut back. Um, this was part of the motivation for it, realizing I was developing a bit of a workaholic mentality. And uh, um, he literally was like begging me not to go to work one morning. And I was like, okay, well, daddy's got to, you know, make money. I got to provide. He was like, well, he was like, well, how much money like do you make an hour? 
And he was like, and I told him, like, I make this much an hour. He was like, I had that much money in my piggy bank. And I was just like, oh, God. Like, that was such a punch in the gut. Like, my son should not have to buy time with his father. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, talk about God using your own children to uh, <laughs> teach you a lesson. Um, that's definitely what I went through. And, you know, it's, you know. It, it reminds me of. I, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I'm. I'm. I can't hide my faith. So, like, I'm sorry if I'm preachy at people, but I. That's just who I am. I. I, I think of stuff from the Bible. I think about uh, things that way because that's how I live my life. And I think about what Jesus says. Uh, don't store up your treasures here on earth. You know, those treasures here mm-hmm. on earth, they'll fade away. They'll turn the dust. Store up uh, instead for yourself treasures in heaven. And what what greater treasure can you store than? The, the time with your family and, and those things that, that you can't put any kind of price on. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of to libertarianism that's about economics and money and, you know, whatnot. But, uh, you know, libertarianism isn't all that's important in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Uh, you know what, Jacob, let's, let's flip it around a little bit. Give us a piece of your mind. What's on your brain. Oh, um, I am really tired of, dogmatic thinking lately or or i don't know if it's the right term i'm really tired of people just like you know with with every issue it's like pick a side with every encounter you have with people on social media it's like oh you're one of them and it can be anything it can be you're a member of a caucus you're a member of a particular religion you're a uh, particular sports team fan i don't know like it's just always trying to put people into boxes and then to assume you know things about that person because of some you know facet of their identity or or some association that they share and i'm just like um i'm 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 getting you know triggered day by day week by week more and more and it's hitting the boiling point lately i'm just um you know i'm sick of it in so many areas of my life um you know one you know in a religious sense i'm so tired of like interfaith squabbles within christianity so tired of people obsessing over denominations and like the finer points of theology and disagreements there. And like, you know, it's like, ah, we hate Calvinists or we hate Catholics or we, you know, or that, that person believes in, uh, you know, uh, is a premillennialist. That person is a, is a preterist that per- it's like, Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, I mean, it just, it, I just get exhausted of it. And the same thing, it's like, I don't know why I thought it would be different, but when I became a libertarian, I just had this, idea in my head that libertarians would not be as dysfunctional as the church but oh my god it's like mirrored images libertarians are just as bad and just as factional and just as judgmental and listen i have my opinions i have my perspectives i have my associations i mean like and that's inevitable right like you're going to have things that you 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 lean towards but that doesn't mean that i like you know i'm just intrinsically against picking one thing means hating everything else right it's like if i go to a restaurant and i pick out something to eat that's not a judgment on the rest of the menu that's like i hated everything on this menu and i category reject categorically reject everything on this menu (laughs) except the one thing i picked out which is the only good thing that you could possibly pick out to eat this establishment it's like no that's not how life works Um, you know what i mean that's not even how the human mind works it's like you know sometimes and i know it's i know it's weird humans aren't robots we actually change 
we actually experience things and like it's actually okay and natural and healthy to normalize changing your mind on things when you're given new information like um and it's okay to admit you're wrong about stuff and it's okay to like you know say hey i kind of agree with this group on 80 percent of things but not on on these things it's okay to be friends with people that you disagree with things on uh, you know what i mean so i'm just i'm just really tired of the tribalism and and like the dogmatism that that exists in, in so many circles of of my life and um you know I, I i'm 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 a radical individualist at the end of the day and it's just i you know to me it's all like all of this stuff is just uh different expressions of irrational collectivism and um and in denial of people's you know individual personalities and and some like on on some level like a denial of of people's humanities at time um yeah. where, where we're just like um I, I don't know if it's intellectual laziness that it's just easier for people to like pick up some kind of heuristic where they like they they pick with something that feels comfortable to them and then they just play it out um and maybe that's easier than just treating each instance each person each setting you find yourself in um on its own merits i don't know why that i don't know why that's too hard um especially for people who are you know it's like i mean i'm i like other than my family like the things i care about the most in my life are like my faith and like this thing we do as libertarians like i believe in liberty and i just i'm, I'm just getting really fatigued of people that we supposedly share the same values, but then we end up expressing them in such radically different ways. And I can't even like, some people might go, Oh, it's just, and like, I'm sure there's people listening to this going, Oh, well, you know, I don't do that, but this other faction does. It's like, no, nah, like, like, you know, the, the, the groups that I'm a part of and the groups I'm not a part of, like they're all guilty actors in this. And I've even at times got caught up in it myself and like we just we just got to stop we got to be willing to treat each person we encounter on their own merits and um to, to stop treating people like like robots i mean the whole reason central planning doesn't work is because of how yeah. unpredictable and varied humans are so um yeah that's the piece of my mind awesome dude dude i i totally agree uh there's times you're asked to like renounce a person entirely because of like their latest moment and you're right. just like bro i don't even know what to tell you like specific example this week is like somebody was like uh, uh i won't mention his name because this person's a friend of mine too but was just like spike cohen's pretty much just a boomer conservative like you can look at anything he says and he's just a boomer conservative and i said okay look i'm just gonna do this from like the last week okay i'm just gonna take tweets from his last week where i'm not even deep diving here and I just brought, I think, like 10 to 12 points or something where I was just like, would a boomer say this? Would a conservative say this? Would it, you know, and it's like, and they actually deleted their, they, they didn't talk about it with me, but they deleted the post, right? Now, my goal isn't cancel culture. My goal isn't to, I didn't harass him. I was very kind. I was like, I believe I said, hey, I used to be a neoconservative myself. I know what neoconservatism looks like. Let me tell you how Spike does not fit that mold, you know, like from when I was. Um yeah, you know, all the people, just, all the people wanting to cancel Spike, which is in again not just one group of people in the libertarian movement. Right. People who have a problem with Spike, I'm just like, um, you know, we're gonna like, we're gonna be throwing hands here. Spike is like, like 
you know, like the man in the Liberty movement. So you got a problem with Spike. We're, we're, uh, you know, I, I'm not one to pick fights, but you just picked one. Um, I, I'll go, I, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go to bat for my boy Spike. Right. I mean, yeah, it's like, he's like the Betty White of libertarianism. If you hate him and like, it's like hating Dolly Parton. I mean, come on people. <laughs> but it, and I think it's, it's ridiculous. Like somebody's not for you. Like, so for yeah. example, like, I mean, everybody knows about this, about me at this point. I'm not really a Dave Smith fan, but the thing is, is it, he's not for me. I don't need to spend 99% of my time bashing the dude or saying that he's a boomer conservative. I remember when people were being like, oh, he's such a Trumper. And I remember listening to a show where he talked about wanting Trump to be publicly drawn and quartered because of like his war crimes. <laughs> it's just like, so you guys like don't know, like you get, you know what I mean? Like you say this thing because you have this idea in your head about, I don't, like I said, I don't even like the guy, but at least you can be like, Hey, like I, I can settle for just being like, Hey, can't that be enough? Why do I have to go further? Or Why the reverse. It's like, I love Dave Smith, but uh, I disagreed with some of his tweets about the, the, the topic of today's episode. Right. And it was right. just like, but it's like, Hey, we can be friends and work together, but have disagreements about like, we're not all going to agree the same things. It's like, have yeah. you never met people? Is this surprising to you? And, right. and, and what gets really frustrating is then like people that I have everything in common with. I mean, again, I, I've said this several times in the show, like I'm pretty far right. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much like, uh, a, 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 like borderline Hoppian, very strong Austrian libertarian. But then I have people who are also, yeah, I know. I have people who are, other, you know, Hoppy and Austrian libertarians who, again, like we would agree on 99% of things, but they're blocking me on Twitter. And when I, I asked for an explanation, they go, oh, it's because you had a, a, a left anarchist on your show. I was like, so wait, so they're because talking I about me, by the way, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe some of them are. oh no not yeah. hurting <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's like wait so we can't talk to people we disagree with no like no. how boring would that be it, it i it, mean how i mean how can you grow if you live in this sterile echo chamber where you're never confronted with a thought contrary to yours i mean i just I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> no, you're not. But the thing is, um, there's a few points I'm going to take up with you here. Number one, the restaurant menu, it all generally is crap. And I'm somebody who has the <laughs> palate of a toddler here. So uh, give me my mac and cheese and leave me alone. Uh, but number, but number two, um, you know, it, this has been the thing that I think that we all get into the whole, uh, I quote Monty Python incessantly. My apologies for anyone who has no idea what it is. Uh, the Judean people's friend, people's friend of Judea, you know, the popular friend, people's friend of Judea. All this crap goes back to the splitting and things like that. And it's like just what you say, the dogmatic pursuit of what is true. You know what? The thing is, I have some friends who are hard, hardcore Democrat, always going to support vote blue, no matter who type of people. And it's amazing that we agree 80, 90 percent on stuff. You know, term limits. Term limits is a great one. I mean, my God, that one is so popular across the board. Do you hear it on any of the major media? No, because they're far more interested in telling you that why this person is trying to kill you because they have a personal problem with a vaccine because they've been told by their doctor or they have con conflicting issues because of its source material, things like that. But that, that they've been told very actively they're trying to kill you or they're trying to kill you because you're trying to get the vaccine. 
it, it's it plays into the media, it plays into the government, it plays into all these groups who just want to go ahead and get eyeballs and make as much money as possible. And it's sad and it's pathetic, but it, it's the same thing here. It, it's the same thing where people sit here and outrage on, you know, this person's not pure enough or this person's, you know, shouldn't be part of this or that. You know what? Hold a shitty view. I'm sure I hold plenty. Let me go get my kids. I'm sure they'll tell you all the shitty views that I have. But I've grown on some of those shitty views and some of them I've doubled down on. So it's okay to have a terrible viewpoint if you've got the data that supports that terrible viewpoint because terribleness is in the eye of beholder. And it's just ridiculous how we keep doing this and all the prags and everybody else are kind of mocked and things like that because I oh, just trying to be a prag, just trying to be a statist, whatever. Fine, I mean, whatever. Like, you, know, you and yeah. I, Brian, have had a lot of disagreements on this show and in yeah. private chats, but it's like, I, I, I hope you can always know I, I come at these things from a place of humility because like, and I, I think most of us here do. And I think the problem mm -hmm. is some people struggle to, to, to express that, which for me, I can't help but do because I can't help but think it's like, well, I've been wrong before many times and i've changed my views you know to, to where i'm at today mm -hmm. like i don't understand how people get to this point where they go aha now at this from this day forward i have learned everything there is to know and um everything that i now believe now is correct um you know none of the times before now but now everything going forward is unchallengeable it's like you know i i just don't get that it's like that doesn't mean it, I'm going to change my mind easily. Like I do have a high standard of, of, of evidence and argumentation that I hold people to, to move off of things I believe in, but I approach it with a humility to, to recognize that, you know, I've been wrong before I could be wrong. Now I don't know everything. And anyone who does, I just like, you know, that, that we could agree on a lot of things, but it's that attitude that I find to be problematic. Yeah. And if you've never been, if you can never admit that you're wrong in your life, you have either lived a life, you've lived a very boring life, or you've sure. never been challenged. And I'm yeah. guessing it's probably the latter. But two points I want to make here. Number one, Morgan's point about the campaign for free Galilee. Morgan, I love you. Um, number two, um, <laughs> yeah, that's a deep, deep, deep one. Um, but yeah, the infighting it's what people come to see. They come to see, you know, it's the whole point of this show too. It's that, but we're supposed to sit here and talk about it. And in the chat. We, we beat the heck out of each other on our terrible ideas. Well, everybody else has terrible ideas. Cause I'm always right. Well, Brian, um, Brian but, nukes people, you know, <laughs> I do we, not we, <laughs> nuke everyone, just the ones that steal my apples. It was, and that was my point was just that the anarchist society, blah, blah, blah. We won't go down that rabbit hole tonight. So anyhow, <laughs> It, it it's it draws eyeballs. Some of our greatest episodes that we've had on here have been controversial topics, but in the end, we all agree on 80-90%. And in the 80-90% that that is right, and the 10% is usually the government coming in oh, yeah. and thinking they're gonna do something. They're gonna do something that was written by a paid-off legislature in DC who has no clue what the real problem is, has only been based off of what they've been told in a memo possibly, or by the, or by the, uh, by the person in front of them is handing them a campaign check um, to go ahead and get this bill that they handed them, that they've got enough people to go and sign, look good, do the photo op and then forget about it and just add it to the federal bill. So, um, 
<laughs> how much to see Jacob hug a lip sock? We'll start the bidding at a dollar. Oh, heck. I don't even think I have to bid that high. Jeez. We'll do it's it for charity. Hard. We're doing it for charity. Okay. Okay. Charity. okay yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll throw in 10 bucks. Just, yeah, just, I mean, just I, I have, I've had an anarchist, uh, mutualist, uh, uh, left anarchist on my, my podcast. And you know what? We agreed on like 70, 80% of things. Right. Sure. I mean, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's like, so um, we, we, we hyper-focus on our differences, but the truth is like, if we just work together on the areas we do agree, we would get a lot done. Right. I mean, and, and I think Jake, Jake, you said this once, I, I can't remember if I've said this on the show before, but uh, talking about it, thinking of it in terms of division of labor, we can't all be good on everything. We just, we can't, there's not enough time. There's people that, you know, we are all, most of us here kind of generalized libertarians. We talk about most issues a lot. But if you're ever going to excel at something, you've got to pretty much dedicate your life to that issue. I mean, there are people, and I got to say, as somebody who, I got my degree in theology, and I'd study from one person who spent 40 years studying, like, one book of Ezekiel, or like, or or the the cultural times of, you know, Jerusalem from 1400 to, to 1000 B.C., and they'll spend and and when I say spend forty years, they're like, oh no way, they spent forty. No, they they spend forty years of their life. They will write books. This is their whole life. This is this is everything, right? This is how you study it, you know. And, and uh, things like this, like when you talk about like global warming, it's like, well, I'm I'm not smart enough to tell you how the atmosphere works. I can watch a YouTube video and kind of gain a general understanding, but I'm not going to sit here and come at you from a place of economic scholarly. I am so intelligent. You must listen to me because of my work in this area. I've studied an entire three hours worth of YouTube videos. Let me tell you how it works. Like there are people that are smarter than me that disagree with each other, which should probably tell you it's a complicated issue, you know? And so like that, that should be the signal for it right there. The more um, you know, the more you know how much you don't know. You don't right. know. Exactly. Right. Yeah. There's a, it's, yeah. There's a humility that you need to it. And I think some of it, you know, is, is this, it's an attitude of saying, of being able to walk away from the fights when it needs to happen, when you see it happen. And the other one is to not disparage somebody who's your business partner. You know, like if somebody is focused on economics and libertarian solutions in that area, and you don't find that productive, you don't have to go at them. You can talk about social issues. You can spend your life talking about the, do your specialty. If you feel like, I like the generalized because I'm, you know, my speech and debate past makes me so that I can pretend to know a lot about a lot of issues. And that's what I'm good at doing <laughs> is pretending to know a lot about different issues with, I mean, Word, literally. Wordsmithing. <laughs> yes. They give me the, you know, here's an hour and a half of preparation time. Now pretend you know more than Who, a college some, professor, right? Somebody they, said like a, like a month ago, it was like libertarian yeah. podcasters are really good at taking 10 minutes of content and stretching it out to be an hour and a half. And I was like, I'm doing oh, exactly God. that. Oh, yeah. Yes. No, this is going to happen. What's wrong with that? Yeah. I feel, I feel, I feel, yeah, I feel personally, personally assaulted here. Um, oh. Yeah, the but like okay. So anyway, what I'm what I'm trying to say here is it's like you don't talk smack about their economics. What you can do is say, you know what, we're not there, you know, on this issue, on economics. I don't see eye to eye with you. I'm not going to say a word about you. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to talk about this issue, you know. And you'll see somebody. And here's one that I see from both sides. You'll see somebody recruiting from a MAGA hat rally to try and make libertarians out of them. And then you'll see somebody at a Bernie Sanders rally and try to make libertarians out of them. 
And there is a compulsion for those two to fight with each other because that's what the world wants to see. We want to see fighting, right? The, the media stopped talking about the Arbery trial when there was no fight, when it was very obvious what it was. It's not that it didn't go, it wasn't, I mean, and this totally goes with what the media's narrative is most of the time with Ahmad Arbery. But even more important, the narrative was the generation that fighting, when people stopped fighting about it because it became very obvious what that trial was, it stopped being in the news, right? It stopped being as interesting to everybody. You know, they stuck with Rittenhouse because that's a little more controversial. You know, that that's the thing that fights more. You have to resist it, right? Because it's so easy. I get sucked in weekly. I, I defy the advice and intelligence that is being given to me right now in this episode that I already know ahead of time. And I mess it up like on a weekly basis. I'll get sucked into being like, you know what though? I've got a real zinger that's going to get like, eight people to like my comment. All right, I'm doing this. You know, I don't know why it's a dumb thing. I know it's because society's like got that pressure on me or whatever, but you've got to step back. Like at some point you need to be able to say this. And I probably should even like, just as a gut check to me personally, I kind of feel like the need I found to like, when somebody's like, Oh, I, I talked to this guy for me to be like, well, I don't get along with that guy so much, but we can, I don't even need to say that probably. Like I should probably stop saying the people that I don't like at all because I just don't, I, I don't care. They're doing their thing. I can do my thing if we don't work well together. What's important is I identify the people that I do work well with and that we actually make something of ourselves, that we can actually build something. And, and it takes, here's the thing, because libertarians, you're never going to be able to get people to stop fighting, right? We scream at the people who cause the fights. They're not going to listen. Because they they generate their views with fighting. They fail. They won't work if we stop fighting. Okay, they Their whole business model is based on fighting. And so you can't reach out to them. When we talk about stop fighting, there's no reaching them. So what you need to understand, if you're listening to this, I'm probably talking to you. Which is to say, they're going to try and start a fight. You need to walk away. You need to be the one that's like, you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. Turn, turn the other cheek, so to speak. You need another, to turn the other cheek. Another that's uh, the Christian success. reference. It's yeah. the tact, but it's tactical. Like I think, and I, triggering I, Brian's I, uh, Satanism. I, I, I could go on a hardcore you like, know, not, like I, I know Jacob. We're still on for a pacifism <laughs> uh, podcast. One of these days, yeah. we'll talk about it. But like, there's a tactical element to this. To saying I'm walking away, not because I oh I'm going to lose a fight, or because I'm scared, or because I. Uh, you know, I'm scared of what my values don't hold water. Cause that's of course what they're going to say. Right. Anytime you walk away or you block somebody because they're being a douche, you know, they're like, Oh, well, they just couldn't handle it. They couldn't deal with the truth. They couldn't handle my facts. I just owned them. No, I don't like you. <laughs> I just decided what, to walk what took away more strength and what was the right move. Could Luke have just struck down the emperor? Or was it better for him to throw his weapon down? Yes. Yeah. It's a great, one of my favorite, I mean that, that movie, uh, was really formative to me as a child because of that, all the lessons and archetypes taught there. Uh, one, one last thing I wanted to say on the subject, and this is an analogy I used um, when I was on the Libertarian Christian Institute's podcast last week, was uh, there was a question asked to me about like, well, is it, you know, is there something morally inconsistent about like working with people if they don't share your values on something important? Like, it's like, well, could we work with somebody on um criminal justice reform if we think abortions murder and they don't and that's a divisive issue in libertarian circles but to me it's just like i don't really know if a disagreement matters when it comes to working on common goals and the analogy i used was like if there's somebody pinned under a car and the person next to me is going to help me lift the car up to rescue the person underneath of it 
you know, disagrees with me on something fundamental, like that might be important in different contexts, but it's not important in that context. Yeah. And it's like, you have, you have yeah. to recognize the context. It's like, now listen, if I'm, you know, out, out there as a Christian trying to, um, you know, put out my perspectives on, on abortion or, or trying to, to work to, um, I, I, I don't know, like there, there's definitely context where like we wouldn't be good partners, but, um, you know, I, I like, I do like the analogy you, you use Hody, which is like, you know, we have to be good coworkers and we have to recognize that like when we're working on a job site, what matters the most is the job that we're doing. Not like that we, you know, it's like, you know, can a Ravens fan and a Steelers fan work together or can someone that's a Ohio fan work with somebody who's a, um, uh, Alabama fan. It's like, or Michigan fan or whatever. Michigan. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's like, I mean, yeah, you guys can fight all you want, but, um, when it comes to getting the job done, you know, that's right. You're doing a blood drive together. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Relax. 80% of us can, can take somebody who's politically against us for some of our most deeply held topics Mm -hmm. and none of us will care. In fact, we're probably already doing it already. So there's 20% of us, I'm guessing that probably would want to feel, Oh, I don't feel safe with this person who dares want to have somebody, you know, like, have term limits or maybe wouldn't exactly vote for the same person that I was going to vote for. Um, those people tend to work themselves out of a biz- out of the business. So, you know, Brian, hit um, us with your, uh, piece of your mind. When my piece of my mind actually didn't come to me tonight until about, uh, six 7 o'clock, uh, Eastern tonight. When I flipped the channel after the wife and I were watching the love boat. Yes. The rerun. Yes. We were just seeing what was on TV and that was on. So we watched it. It was it was a nice flashback to 40 years ago. But anyhow, um, watching that, uh, I flipped over to 60 minutes and normally I don't watch 60 minutes because it's usually some sort of fluff piece. And I caught it right in the middle of uh, them talking about the remake of West Side Story. But two interesting stories popped up afterwards. First one was about Reality Winner and her life after prison, which was kind of surprising. Because, number one, usually CBS likes to carry water for a lot of government agencies. And for them to interview Reality Winner and give her a pretty balanced interview about her life in prison and after prison um, was really kind of refreshing. Um, So she talked about how she had suffered in prison because basically no one cared about her. Um, that she's still seen as a criminal, even though what she did was expose basically whistleblowing of uh, the crimes that were going on by the government. And my wife, who is as apolitical as anyone on the planet uh, can be, goes to me and says, why was she ever in jail if she was pointing out what the government was doing wrong? And I said, that's the problem. And she goes, but then why was she in jail? And I said, because the government got ticked off because they exposed she exposed them and that's the bigger issue so it was nice to see that on on 60 minutes of course after west side story not before um but the next piece was about china and the crackdowning on uh on capitalism by the the leadership inside of china and it was funny just to watch them bring on two different totally (laughs) diverse minded people uh, with no third party in the middle, obviously, 
uh, one person who was Trump's former national security advisor, and on the other side, uh, a, a kind lady who teaches at the London School of Economics, and oh, her father is the uh, president, CEO of the largest bank in China. You can guess where that conversation went, um, <laughs> which gets right back to what they were playing to. They were playing to both sides in this case. You either got the MAGA people who are going, China is very evil, which they pretty much are. And then, of course, the, the lady who was sitting there saying, well, it's just a light crackdown. It's only to be more fair. And it was hilarious to watch her use the more equitable and we're just simply going after the 1%. It's pretty sad when that's starting to become a global thing because amazingly the 1% are the ones that are still getting away with things. If we look at the uh, Maxwell trial and the list of people that are on in Jeffrey Epstein's black book, it's pretty extensive. How many trips did Bill Clinton take and Trump and all these other celebrities take? Not getting a lot of press on that. So Tonight was just refreshing to see a little bit of news reporting going on on a, on a major show like that. And hopefully they'll do more of it. But I'm sure next week will be the scourge of libertarians and why we need to rough, you know, scruff them out. So. Domestic terrorists. Exactly. Domestic <laughs> terrorists who apparently are in various stages of growing beards and need to be, you know, scourge of this planet, whatever. I, I just, yeah, that, that's, that's what I saw tonight. So I just thought it was interesting. You watch uh, higher brow uh, programming than a lot of us, uh, but I'm glad you do. The uh, I, I am always shocked. I, I, there's this book called Three Felonies a Day. Yep. Um, oh, I and love it, that book. It, it's actually, it's not what you think. The book is actually kind of about high profile cases. Sometimes you don't even sympathize for the defendants all that yeah. much, but the prosecutor kind of makes a ruling, which then becomes the new law. And then all of a sudden they use that law and it's against somebody that's widely disliked most of the time or very unpopular. And then all of a sudden they can make that ruling against a million little people. So they mm -hmm. hit one big powerful person with it. And this, the person who wrote the book was, uh, um, you know, very like high powered defendant. I actually was very surprised the, the people he represented. I was like, I've heard of some of these cases. This is wild. Like uh, the Martha Stewart, uh, uh, you know, insider trading thing is in there and was like, you, you think you're punishing Martha Stewart and the insider trading. And it's not fair that these rich people get to get away with this and do what she did or whatever. And so that unpopularity will happen. And then since then, what happens? It gets over felonized. Pretty much everybody does some the version of what Martha Stewart did. And suddenly your average Joe Schmo who's who's using Webull on his app to trade stocks is is doing some insider trading when he talks to his friend who works at a steel plant, you know, and it's like, oh, now you're busted. And this is the thing. This is how government grows. And it starts usually by targeting somebody you want punished because they are incredibly unpopular. Yep. You know, and this is and we've seen this even recently in the Libertarian Party by, you know, being like, hey, we're kicking this person out. They're unpopular, you know, and we've seen both sides do this. Right. <laughs> It'd be like, I think we can get rid it's of a these people. Because... A couple of those stories. Sorry. Hody. Sure. Sure. I, I mean, I, whatever. It's more but, of a like, weekly news coverage. <laughs> yeah. Weekly. Kind of. <laughs> right. But the thing is, is it's like, OK, you open the gate. And now it's as Jacob said, it's weekly news coverage. You start with one. You have a, you know, you have this policy, 
you make it an exception that is valid to everybody. Are you saying that power that I advocate for against my enemy can be weaponized by my enemy against me? Wow, I wish there was some group of people that espoused some political philosophy that taught that very lesson. (laughs) I'm trying to make this sound big and important, but that is pretty much the gist of it. (laughs) That's that's the thing. You give away this power and it's used against you. Like At first, it seems really popular. And you say, like, you know what? I can look the other way on this because that person is fill in the blank. You know, again, that three felonies a day book is, is a good one. If you want to see the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, it's these rich one percenters that get punished and you want to see them punished. And so then what, what happens to them? Well, they have to pay a million dollar fee or they have to resign or something like that. But now you've got this established law that the common man doesn't have a million bucks. Can't just sit there and resign. You know, they get to go to jail. They get, they actually have bodily harm potentially done to them. They have their assets seized. You know, civil asset forfeiture once started by targeting the, the mob, right? Like, and people don't like the mob for a good reason, right? The mob was doing some heinous things. But what happens? You pass a law, you say it's okay. And then, uh, and then, and then all of a sudden, that law, like you said, is getting used against you. Um, Dark Sage has a question for this panel about weaponizing things against people. I tell you what, you ask real quick and we'll probably get yeah. to it here. Uh, Jacob, I'll let you have your thoughts about what Brian had to say. Oh, um, not much, but it kind of interrupted you to put out them a little bit. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't pay too much attention to, to the mainstream media or watch a lot of TV news and stuff. So um, I, I can't say too much about how good or bad the news coverage is about different things um i I do think in general um i i I think there there tends to be one of those things where it's like some people are very uh like like and it's true in a general sense that the media is corruptible and and there's an element of of the media that's like the things they report on are are skewed and inaccurate and all that but that doesn't mean that if people don't show up in large force in society to demand the truth on something that the media can hide it. Like we can work the incentives to demand that the media report the truth on something. If we, as you know, a society push in that direction. Um, and and yeah. I think we've seen that happen sometimes uh, a few, t- few key times over uh, the past couple years. So um, it's, it's always important to, to remember that and um i always like the um i always like that 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 movie uh it's a really underrated disney pixar movie from the 90s uh bugs life and i remember Mm -hmm. the scene where the cockroaches are uh or the the crickets or grasshoppers grasshoppers that's what the grasshoppers are all talking and they're like oh why do we even need to go back and bully these ants again i mean you know it's just too much work and the one's like no we have to constantly remind them of what a threat we are because the minute they realize that there's more of them than us, we're screwed. And then that's how the movie ends, is the ants realize, oh, there's a lot more of us than there is of them. And so, yeah, the media is not trustworthy. The politicians, um, the, the you know, special interest groups, you know, not trustworthy. And yet at the same time, we can sometimes make these entities out to be a bigger boogie, boogeyman than they are because we're still operating under this fallacy that they actually have all of this power when really they only have power that we have forfeited to them because we act as if uh, we are a minority when we aren't. 
Yeah, I mean, if they can get away with it, they will. All right, let's go ahead and take a crack at this question here, just because it got asked, and I'm excited to get asked a question. Yeah. I noticed how today, every Democrat out there likes to label Trump and his supporters as racist and xenophobic, but yet I am curious now, they explain or defend the actions of people like George Wallace, Andrew Jackson, Woodrow Wilson, and policies and followers they had, and the violent racist things they did. My question is simple. How come Democrats today never talk about these people, and why do they seemingly act like those people are not what they actually were. I've got the theory on this one. Number one, the flip, which is the big one um, that the parties flip sides when it comes to race issues back in the sixties with civil rights um, laws that were passed. So that's the first part. The second part is I really don't hear a lot of Woodrow Wilson, Jackson, things like that. They, They always slap that into the, well, that's how things were, but they still idolize FDR. Now, FDR, was pretty terrible. He did a couple of good what? things. Yeah, I know. Hard to believe. <laughs> uh, the, the internment camps, uh, you know, stealing money from people, <gasps> kind of, you know, all those horrible things. But those are glossed over. Um, and that's exactly what happens is that there's just a lot of glossing over. There's a lot of glossing over of everybody's past. I mean, yes. remember, George W. Bush was... Uh, Hitler, they had pictures of him, they had pictures of Bob Dole as a Nazi, the pictures of Mitt Romney as a Nazi. I mean, just, and then everybody just kind of conveniently forgets it. Oh, it's all over. Oh, McCain was a Nazi too. I remember that. And remember, mm. he was the maverick of the Senate because, well, he was doing good for us at whatever time it was. Politicians have a memory like goldfish. It lasts about 30 seconds and they occasionally hold on to something that may drag them, you know, to something more interesting. So they never will defend it because they're going to say that's the past. This is what now is. They don't see they see themselves a lot smarter than a lot of people see themselves smarter. Now, this goes both for not only Democrats, but also mega Republicans as well, that they're much smarter than they were uh, back then. We're way smarter. But the reality is we're not. We have the same intelligent IQ levels. Uh, as our forefathers did and going back generations as well. So it's just better information. And that's the key point right there. So they're never going to not defend. I mean, they're not going to either dismiss it or they're going to go full FDR. Democrats like to talk about FDR the way Republicans like to talk about Lincoln. Reagan, 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 (laughs) Reagan. Reagan. Reagan Probably better. uh, it's, you know, the funny thing is that there were a lot. I grew up in Reagan times and, and so did Reinhold as well. So, um, but um, that, that um, well, you know, there may be an assumption that isn't exactly accurate here, but it's a question, Dennis, and I think we answer it. And hopefully we answered, at least I answered my portion of it. Well, well and, for them. and yeah. I think it's an observation. It's, yeah. it's, this isn't a matter of opinion. This is just somebody observing that they are yeah. Democratic friends that call Trump racist and xenophobic. I mean, let's yeah. get more recent with it. You can put together the most racist thing Trump has ever said against, I mean, and I promise if you find the most racist things uh, Joe Biden has ever said those are worse. I mean, it's yeah. just Joe Biden is objective has said objectively worse or, more or, or about their policies. Like, what, what, yeah. what are what is the differences between their policies that's significant and it makes any difference oh. to immigrants coming into our country right now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and Dennis um, Kennedy would not allow to be a Democrat. 
he would be a hardcore Republican. If we're really going to go there and say Reagan wouldn't be in the GOP, Kennedy would never be a Democrat. So So I mean, it's going back. History, history, like you said, Brian, is very fickle about these things. I mean, it is just there is not much consistency, especially among politicians. So it's funny because we'll craft somebody up to be one thing and then find out another thing. So, I mean, and and nobody's above it. Like Dark Sage to answer your question here. I really want to I really want to establish that this is just a human thing. Like Calvin Coolidge is probably the most libertarian president ever. And he signed a bill that forbade Eastern Europeans from entering the U S in certain numbers because of all that scary Eastern European blood that was tainted and uh, the white Slavic blood might actually accidentally mingle with it. Right. And that was, that was superior, you know, blood anyway, like it's just like the, uh, not Slavic. It's the, uh, the, it was- it, the 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 Scandinavian it, blood or whatever it was I, I forget what they it called was, it's, it's was, like the Vikings what were they oh, called Scandinavian well I mean it's Scandinavian uh, I'll, I'll uh, disagree with you Cody F- functionally the most libertarian president was William Henry Harrison because he only had thirty one days yeah I was gonna say <laughs> well and yep exactly no I'm gonna agree with him I'm gonna agree with him on this because he went outside refused to listen to anyone talked for hours and then died from a freaking easily treatable illness bingo oh my gosh most libertarian president ever yeah I just I just think that like like for me I I think the thing is we look back and even on recent history. I mean, you can look as recent as the George W. Bush, I mean, talking about immigration. Just to see, like, he would not probably fit very well in the Republican Party today. And he's still alive. Like, he's around. You know what I mean? And, like, it's just... And and then just like Joe Biden and the Democrats, if he was saying that stuff about not wanting, you know, his kids growing up in a racial jungle, jungle. you know, and all that stuff, like, I mean, that's that's not even the worst of it. I haven't compiled, like, a list, but... There's there's some really bad Joe Biden stuff out there about race that, that that they don't know about. So like the thing is is you're you everybody has a certain thing, right? Like I really love history. So like the people when you bring up when you talk about George Wallace, Andrew Jackson, Woodrow Wilson, when I was in debate, history was my first go-to because I could usually find some historical event that made my weird position look good. Even if I didn't like my position in speech and debate, I could usually find some historical evidence that my way was correct right (laughs) and so like the thing is is like we all have these perspectives that matter more than certain other things and they place different amounts of priority to them so the thing is is certain libertarians might be willing to make that immigration thing for coolidge go away like why don't we talk about that when we talk about all the other good things that coolidge did well most libertarians want to gloss over it right just like most most democrats want to gloss over certain things now they're cool to throw throw people like Jefferson under the bus, as, as Reinhold brings up. And, and sure, there's certain ones that kind of history has not made them look good. And there's been, uh, you know, every, everything has looked looked bad in, in hindsight for them. And I think people have changed their tune on it. The Republicans have a few of those as well. Like, I mean, it's just, you know, where they say like, yeah, this guy is a Republican, but, you know, we, we hate him now. I mean, things turn pretty bad. I, Teddy Roosevelt, I guess, is one that kind of Republicans don't like. Right. He was like the first progressive and, you know, and he was one that Republicans did like. And then people found out about him and then they're like, what's this about the food and drug and national park? I hate that guy. Screw that guy. You know, so like they kind of got win. There's a few historical figures that people throw under the bus. But generally, we all tend to have these blinders on because we want something to be true. And here's the other thing. And I'm not going to 
Dark Sage, your point is very good. I'm just explaining why it happens. Another point that I want to bring up on this is that is that it? a lot of times it's like, well, I like the Green New Deal. I don't care about the internment camps. Or the internment camps were bad, but I don't see how that relates to the Green New Deal. So the reason they're not talking about these things is because they say, or not Green New Deal, the regular New Deal. Pfft, my brain. Anyway, they like Same the New Deal. I was, I was like, wait, what? Anyway, <laughs> what's going on here, Hodes? Yeah, no. <laughs> so they like the New Deal, right? And so when you say something like, well, what about the internment camps? They're just going to be like, well, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, I just, that doesn't have anything to do with this. Like, so for example, I like Calvin Coolidge because of what he did to, you know, counter the 1919 recession with free markets and bringing down taxes and, and stuff like that. What is, when somebody's like, what about his stuff on immigration? Doesn't he suck now? Jacob, just, we just talked about this with Jacob earlier. I could yeah. fight about this forever, or I could just be like, yeah, that sucked. But the reason I'm, I like the guys because of this, when I love, I really like the life and time. I like the story of George Washington a lot, right? Like I find him an inspirational character. I love the way he thought about things. I thought he had some good humility. I'm aware he was a slave owning piece of crap and deserves to answer for all of those slaves that he owned. But when I say I like George Washington and somebody's like, oh, cause he was a slaver. It's like, well, no, like, I mean, that's, People sucked. I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm sorry. Am I only allowed to point to Jesus Christ now for like examples of good people? Because if that's it, we're all, we're gonna have a very flat and static conversation. Everybody's right. got these negative issues with them, you know. Anyhow, uh, Jacob, you didn't kind of didn't get much say on this one. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you have some say, Brian. After that, you can wrap it up, and then we'll go home. I don't, I don't have much to say. I think I made most of my points through cracking jokes in between what you were saying. <laughs> I mean, the only other joke I'll add to it is uh, to illustrate my thoughts even further is my favorite joke to tell people is that the only Republican I've ever voted for is Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, That's a rough and, one. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like this, what uh, Dark Sage is saying here, actually. For example, at this one, uh, I asked this event, Democrat, my tennis response was, well, we passed civil rights, so we did help African-Americans. And he never acknowledged for Democrats that divide and segregate many African-Americans. Well, there's plenty of history that that just wasn't a Democrat thing. That was a Republican, Democrat, societal thing is uh, just uh, across the board. So um, any political party giving themselves a backslap for you know passing the civil rights legislation is probably fundamentally dishonest <laughs> at, at, at its best um and and every both democrats and republicans have put a lot of these into have put a lot of these policies in place so yeah. Um, I wouldn't do a lot of backslapping on saying how awesome one party is or the other. And this includes libertarians, too. We, we've screwed sure. up enough things, but oh, we haven't yeah. been in control. So give us some time and we can screw things up, too. And then you can blame us. <laughs> that's our, give that's us our a new chance slogan. The that's, that's, <laughs> that is the new catchphrase of the libertarian party. <laughs> Give us a chance to screw things up for a change. <laughs> right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. If you listen, Jacob, I appreciate you hopping in for Lou at the last second here. She needed a break and we love having you. Uh, great conversation. You also bring along a, a fun and lively crowd that loves your guts. I'm a little irritated that everybody I really, loves you so much. I, I really love uh, <laughs> Sam uh, Wiplinger went through the efforts to, while we were talking, to make yes. the uh, Ro yes. uh, Romans 13 shirt for me, which I, I will now uh, <laughs> I, grift the heck out of and yeah. sell for money. Yeah. Capitalism. And then what we'll do is we'll find like Ryan Lindsay or the biggest lip sock in the world. 
to wear it and get a picture <laughs> taken will raise all the funds for charity. Oh my gosh! And then, I'll, and then, I'll, like, and then I'll hug him. Biblical anarchy. This and looks perfect. And, and then I'll hug him because yeah. I have there to. There we go. Him. There we go. For charity. <laughs> Jacob and Ryan Lindsay hugging for charity. Boy, you'd go. have to have a hefty price for Ryan to be part of that. But I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what that price is. I'm, I'm I, I love charity. Ryan. Ryan just doesn't love me, but it's okay. Oh. I, I love, I love him enough for the both of us. You know what? Based <laughs> on what we said tonight, I'm not even going to give my thoughts on Ryan Lindsay. I I love him and I hope for the best. For yeah, I do as well. Uh, all right, everybody, kisses. Have a great night, and we will talk to you later.